This is Why Change, the podcast for a creative generation. We are your hosts. I'm Jeff. Hola, hola. Soy Carla. It's Rachel here. What's good, y'all? I'm Ashraf. And I'm Madeline. Why Change is a podcast that brings listeners around the globe to learn how arts, culture, and creativity, especially as applied by young people, can change the world, one community at a time. You're invited each week to learn and laugh while exploring the question, why change? All right, let's get started. Welcome to this episode of the Why Change podcast. I'm Jeff Poulin, one of your hosts, and I'm joined by my co-host here, Madeline McGurk. Hey, Madeline. Hi, how are you? Oh, I am doing great. It is a beautiful summer time here in Maryland where I am living just outside of Washington, D.C. So I've been enjoying that while working super hard. We've got a lot going on and so many incredible things happening all around the world. It's just been nuts. How about you? What's new in your world? Yeah, good. Thank you. It's been, um, well, summer here too, which is lovely. We have had about two weeks of sunshine, which is almost unheard of in Scotland, right? So we have been like buzzing about that. Um, Work-wise, yeah, it's been really good. It seems like things are starting to open up for a lot of countries now, um, some more than others, but there's the prospect of getting together in places again soon. And that just feels really exciting. So especially for an international network, those personal connections, um, being able to be together in real life again feels super exciting. So that's what I'm looking forward to most right now. I absolutely agree. And it's been really interesting too, because I very much look forward to seeing people together. In fact, we were on a staff call with our team and one of my team members who formerly was my student now is working and, and leading a lot of the projects at Creative Generation said to me, you know, Jeff, we've, we've never actually met in person. And it blew my <laughs> mind. I had not realized that, that we had never actually seen each other in the flesh. And yeah. yet we work really closely together. And so I'm very much looking forward to that. But I'm also really looking forward to just the, the continuity and maintaining some of those digital relationships with people now that everyone's really comfortable being online and forming those relationships that otherwise you would probably never have. Um, oh, that it's been really um, exciting. And I know there's one person whom I met over the pandemic, and I know you just spoke to him for our interview today. Tell our listeners a little bit about Jeffrey Tan. Yes, Jeffrey is an amazing TA, teaching artist, community artist, participatory artist. He is um, based in Singapore, but he's worked all over the world. And he um, primarily focuses on um, teaching artistry with the disabilities community. Um, and that's by, with, um, in collaboration, co-creating with those people in those communities. Um, and he's got a real knack for making work which is long lasting and not just sort of a, a quick drop in the ocean and then disappearing, you know? So he's leading a cool piece of work for Attack right now, um, mapping people in Asia doing this work and trying to build an inventory of where they exist, what those Asian specific practices look like and sort of building a bit of a cohort that can support each other in doing that work. So he's, he's really at the cutting edge of something quite cool right now. Well, excellent. It's a fantastic interview. So without further ado, let's have our listeners give it a listen right after a quick ad. Enjoy. The Lewis Prize for Music is a philanthropic music organization advancing systems change through creative youth development. Each year, the Lewis Prize awards accelerator awards to creative youth development music organizations seeking to influence youth serving systems so that all young people have access to learning, creating, and performing experiences that reflect their culture and identity. We've profiled previous awardees on the Creative Generation blog and even interviewed 2021 awardee Delisha Strotter on the Why Change podcast. These folks are awesome. This year, nearly $2 million in funding will give young people access to music education, strengthen the well-being of their communities, and put music at the center of efforts to establish equity. The Lewis Prize for Music is dedicated to fairness, inclusion, and transparency. Prize finalists and awardees are chosen through a rigorous, comprehensive process that incorporates evaluation and input from diverse leaders in the fields of music, education, policy, research, philanthropy, and community organizing, including young adult alumni from creative youth development programs. Applications are open for eight weeks from Tuesday, May 18th to Friday, July 16th, 2021. More information can be found at thelewisprize.org. 
Hi, Jeffrey. Welcome. And thank you so much for being here to talk to me for the Why Change podcast. It's lovely to be talking to you in this context because we've been working together quite a lot recently. And it's just nice to have a chance to talk this way. So thank you for being here. And to give a bit of a quick background for anyone listening, ITAC, which is the organization I manage, recently did an open call for proposals after our ITAC 5 conference out of Korea. And um, Jeffrey's proposal was the one which was commissioned. And it's something that feels really exciting and necessary to do right now. So I'll let you describe your work and what you're up to in a minute. But it's really exciting stuff. So it's cool that we get to talk this way about it. Thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. Oh, I'm so pleased. So to get started, do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, where you are in the world right now, and explain what it is that you primarily do? Okay. Hi, everyone. My name is Jeffrey Tan. I'm a theatre director, a drama educator, and a creative producer. I'm based in Singapore, uh, but recently, you know, life has uh, brought me opportunities to work with people outside of Singapore. And of course, uh, receiving this uh, iTech uh, project grant for the teaching artists in Asia, looking specifically at inclusive arts practice in Asia, uh, has been really a uh, privilege and, and a joy because through this uh, little grant, I've managed to really connect with a lot of people in Asia, uh, teaching artists who are interested in advocating for inclusive arts practice. Uh, so that's my current project. Uh, outside of this project, I, you know, as I'm still a theatre director, so I'm also uh, working on Open Homes, which is a project that I created some years back where I work with the residents over six months. We meet once a month uh, to tell their stories. And so this year, uh, the project has been invited by Aus Asia in Adelaide, Australia. Uh, and it will be happening in person uh, in six different homes with Asian Australians. So it's been really interesting in this COVID times because, you know, we, I would never imagine it to be able to happen. Uh, but we've managed to start online rehearsals just recently. And then, fingers crossed, I get to travel and meet them in person. <laughs> oh, I can't even imagine. That still feels so far away to me. <laughs> Are you doing online rehearsals with people in Australia then? That's right. That's oh, right. Wow. So, so I've been talking to them and, and finding out, you know, their life stories. And, and what is it like moving to Adelaide and, and making Adelaide their home? Mm-hmm. And it's been so interesting because this particular version, uh, it's a collaboration with No Strings Attached, which is a theatre of disability in Australia. So I got to know them last year uh, when I pitched another project to the Singapore International Foundation. It was called Same Same, where I brought the uh, No Strings Attached and Diverse Abilities Dance Collective in Singapore, uh, who are all, I would say, uh, performers living with disability to create a show online. So it was a crazy <laughs> experiment that worked really well. And, you know, I, I got so inspired by that. You know, I was just thinking, you know, how, how can we continue, you know, good relationships? How can we continue creative collaborations, especially so in this very difficult time? Mm-hmm. And so we pitched uh, Open Homes because uh, Kari Sili uh, saw it and, and she was moved by it. And, and you know, Austasia said, yes. And so the project is happening. And, and, and why it's so special is because uh, we are, I guess, you know, subtly we're also trying to bring an inclusive experience for the audience. Mm-hmm. So, you know, of the performers, uh, we do have some who are living with uh, disability, but we don't market it that way. Right, so so the whole idea is you experience and you encounter the person, yeah, yeah, and it sounds it sounds like that's kind of a common thread through your work, right? Like having an inclusive environment, but not marketing it in a way that is like, look at how well we're doing. Like it's, I'm interested yeah, to know yeah, yeah. how what led you towards that approach to working. I I, I think all my life I've been the oddball right being the <laughs> outsider <laughs> being the outsider because you know I, I yeah and I say it not in a bad sense because you know when you're always on the fringe you you learn to you learn to cherish diversity you learn to celebrate differences mm-hmm. and and I think that's what life has taught me and 
I guess it's my little way of, uh, you know, giving back and, and, and sharing. So when I was growing up, you know, I still remember when I was 13 years old, I, I did this workshop with uh, Act 3. Uh, Act 3 was a children's theatre company and it was set up by a Chinese uh, woman, uh, Ruby Lim. Uh, there was uh, Chandran, who's Indian, and Jasmine, who's Malay. And so, you know, somehow race didn't matter. It was just people coming together to create theatre. And they had this idea of a living room theatre, right? So as a young kid, I was very intrigued by how they were able to transform the living room to, you know, various <laughs> story lands. <laughs> and then, of course, that, that really blew my mind on... on thinking unconventionally, right? That theatre does not have to be just in a black box or in a big theatre with 500 audiences, but it can happen anywhere. Uh, and so, you know, I've been very uh, inspired to really think outside of the box, to work with people who may not have opportunities, mm -hmm. you know, not, not just the privilege uh, able to pay for drama classes students, right. but really... Uh, you know, children who who may not otherwise think about doing this, mm -hmm. you know. So, so just uh, this week, actually, I had a chance to work with uh, three groups of primary one and two children <laughs> from uh, disadvantaged families. Uh, and I chose this book called The Snail Who Didn't Want His Shell, which is a local book. Uh, and, you know, they, you know, when I showed them the book, they were like, you know, what's this? <laughs> and I asked them, uh, so what's one thing do you care? You know, do you always carry with you? And their answers were very revealing, right? Because they were saying, uh, you know, we got the we get the common ones like toys, water bottle, but there were a couple of students who said mask. Uh, and when I asked them why, they said, oh, to to prevent us from catching COVID. Huh. So that's what it was like. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> you know, our. Our, our health department has done very well. Yeah, right? different generations. And that's right. That's right. And then I think that's the beauty of the, the arts, that then when we have an open, you know, when we use the arts not as propaganda, but when we use the arts as, as springboards for self-exploration, for society commentary, you know, we learn so much more. Right. And and I still ask, you know, I still remember when I asked the kids, you know, so at the end of this story, what did you learn? Right? The snail who didn't want his shell. And I think their reflections were so deep and mature. You know, they were saying, Oh, we need to be grateful, we need to be mm. thankful, uh, we mustn't, you know, forget what's important for us. Mm. That's like, wow, primary one and primary two kids. <laughs> so, amazing. you know, that that raise the bar so next week when I do the new book I have to really challenge them so next week's book is uh, called The Crane and the Crab which is written by our late uh, president uh, and so I'm, I'm looking forward you know to, to trying out uh, these ideas with them mm -hmm. Amazing and what's do you have like a, a project you're doing with them ongoing beyond the stories are you uh, working towards something? Uh, at the, this is a new trial because of, uh, you know, in Singapore, we are now in this thing called COVID phase two heightened alert. And that means it's like, you know, lockdown, but we don't say it's a lockdown. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> so, so that people don't panic, right? Mm -hmm. but, but I think because of the restrictions in public gathering, it's really challenged a lot of us to rethink how we are making work. It's really, uh, you know, especially in my area of work, you know, so, so like recently, I'm also doing this uh, five months residency at the Seniors Activity Center. And the whole idea was to look at food memories. And I had, you know, we're going to do storytelling, mm -hmm. digital arts and embroidery. But because of all this COVID restrictions, we had to adapt very quickly. Uh, and now, I'm, I mean, I had to do the storytelling through telephone. Right, because oh, wow. yeah, because they can't gather, and a lot of the seniors who are living in rented flats don't have the luxury of Wi-Fi and computers. So it's really challenged me as an artist, right, to really go back to what are the essentials of what we're doing, 
-hmm. And how can we use art really as a tool for learning about ourselves? Uh, how can we use art for making little changes? How can we use art to address the unspoken elephants in the room? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's an important one, isn't it? I think that's what people forget is they're like, oh, so what play are you working on or what are you doing right now? And you're like, well, why, <laughs> why are we doing it? That's the thing. Yes. What, what's yes. the point of doing that kind of work? Totally. That's right. That's right. And so for you, obviously, the why is a lot to do with community building and inclusivity. Yes. And you mentioned making little changes. Um, that's right. I wonder if you want to talk more about like the why behind it all. I think changes are important. Uh, and changes are something that, you know, the honest truth is, as human beings, we don't really like change. Because when a change happens, you know, people get all edgy and unnerving and uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. uh, but but I think when I turn 40, okay, I'm revealing my age now. <laughs> when I turn 40, I made a huge decision and I made a big change in my life, uh, which which I think shifted my, my perspective of life and, and to be brave, to, to embrace changes. Mm -hmm. And I think that that newfound courage has uh, propelled me to really try different things and different projects. Mm -hmm. And now when I look back at the last... Uh, I don't know how many years. Okay, let's not do any maths here. But now when I look back at all the changes that I've made, I'm, I'm so grateful for the wonderful opportunities uh, that have come about because of the courage of looking beyond or going beyond what I'm comfortable with. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so I think there is a lot of value in, in embracing change. Uh, and, and why do I keep looking for these changes. I think it's, it's a way of, I guess, making sense of this uncertain world that we're in. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and when the world is uncertain, you are forced to make changes. Mm -hmm. And then through the arts, we learn that, you know, you, you, learn, you begin to make meaning. Mm -hmm. You begin to make sense of what is happening, right? And, and life is such that when we are so busy doing different things, we sometimes don't reflect or don't take stock of what really is happening, mm -hmm. right? And, and that's how people become dehumanized, right? They become robots just yes. working nine to five and they forget, right? You, you ask them, what did you eat for breakfast? Oh, <laughs> that's a long pause, <laughs> right? Or how did you get here? Yeah. Uh, and, and I think surprisingly, I would say, you know, COVID in this last year and a half, uh, has has given me lots of uh, headspace and heart space uh, to take stock, to slow down, uh, and, and really just to reflect and, and think more deeply about the changes that are happening to me and to the people around me, and how then can we collaborate to make something meaningful. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and so, you know, I'm going back to the iTech project of, you know, teaching artists in Asia. It's a new thing. It's, to be honest, it's not easy because, you know, when you're studying something new, there are always cynics and uh, people who are like not sure. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. and, and so it's okay because, you know, I'm just an individual trying to make a little ripple in the ocean. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's okay to just bear in mind that, you know, the change that you make may not be big today. But hopefully, uh, I think if our intentions are right and it's not about an ego trip or anything, right? I mean, mm -hmm. who knows what's going to happen at the end of six months. But I'm really uh, enjoying this process because, uh, again, you know, I, instead of articulating what the six months of mapping the teaching artist might be or articulating what the chat should be about, I've really taken this... Uh, organic approach and, and listening to different participants who have come along and sharing their experiences or their anger, right? And so the, the topics for the sessions are evolving as I'm uh, speaking to the different participants. So the first chat that we had in May uh, was very much about the broad picture of what inclusive arts practice looked like in Asia or what we're expecting. 
Uh, this coming one in June, we are looking at a workshop that's led by a Filipino friend, hmm. right? So I think it would be quite different, but it's still a chat format because it's on Zoom. But I think to get a perspective on the politics of identity is something that, again, we talk about, but maybe not uh, grapple with so much, mm-hmm. right? So, so that's what we're doing. And then the third session, we are, we are still working on it, but I'm keeping my fingers crossed to try and convince, um, I, would, I wouldn't say the beneficiaries, but uh, artists, uh, teaching artists who are living with disability to front that session, mm-hmm. you know? So I think that would be really interesting because, you know, we're talking about inclusive arts and we mustn't forget that we need to hear from mm-hmm. uh, that uh, segment of society who, whom we are aiming to include, mm-hmm. whom we are making to make visible. Uh, what do they think? What do they need? And how can we collaborate? So, so that's something that I'm thinking about. I don't know if it will happen at the third session, but definitely I hope within one of the six uh, chats, uh, we'll be able to do that. Yeah, that was a really good group you managed to assemble for that. I mean, I was only in that first call just in case you needed tech support. <laughs> um, but uh, yes. you did not. You were great. But it was a, it was a good size group. You really managed to to start something there. Um, do you yeah. want to quickly explain the project for anyone who isn't aware of it? Because there's sort of a few key strands to the, what you're doing. That's right? right. That's right. That's right. So the Teaching Artists in Asia uh, project has, I would say, two big components. The first component is about mapping teaching artists while working with disabled community. So any teaching artists in Asia uh, who are working with disabled community or who are interested in inclusive arts practice, you know, please get in touch. Uh, we are hoping to come up with a directory. Uh, and, and to be honest, we're still figuring out how it's the best way to, to capture this, this directory. So that's the, the first, uh, if you like, the baseline of what we're trying to do with this mm-hmm. project. Of course, we didn't just want to have a directory and no connections. So that's why I added a second component, which is this idea of having monthly chats, which is the last Monday of every month from May all the way to October, looking at the different issues and challenges or themes around the idea of uh, inclusive arts practice in Asia. And and I stress in Asia because I think there's been a lot of uh, discussions and and, uh, sharing uh, elsewhere in the world. But somehow in Asia, there's this maybe unspoken, reserved, you know, I'm just doing my own thing, Mm -hmm. right? And and I think what I want to try and do is to really encourage uh, teaching artists who are in this area to share and, and celebrate, I think, the diversity, the different ways of working that we are all developing, mm-hmm. you know. And, and I think that's the exciting thing of the teaching artist uh, fraternity, that it is never like a, a set uh, way of doing things, mm-hmm. right? And especially so in Asia now where, you know, the social media online connection is so, it's just a click away. So then how do we utilize this this uh, easy access uh, to build on and collaborate uh, and reach even more people so that we we embrace inclusive arts education uh, or inclusive uh, arts practice with the biggest possible umbrella mm-hmm. right uh, because I think that there are different schools of thought. Some people are really advocating for the social model, not the charity model. Mm-hmm. And, and that's all right. But there are also people who just want to connect. There are also people who just want to be involved. There are also people who just are happy doing what they may not have thought of doing. Mm-hmm. So, so I think it, it's about that kind of for me, I think this, this, uh, what we're trying to do with these six chats is maybe you know, articulate the kind of findings that we are discovering as we are doing these chats and what are the issues. So, so as I said, you know, the, the themes for each chat is emerging as, as we chat and as we, as we meet new people and we're thinking of different ideas. So we hope you know, some of these seats can hopefully get support 
Uh, whether in their own countries or coming back to iTech <laughs> and saying, "Hey, this is this project, <laughs> yeah, would you like to collaborate?" Right. So, so, so I think, yeah, I'm I'm really thankful for this opportunity because really without that that connection, that support, that trust, and that recognition for what we're doing, uh, it can get very isolating. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what one thing that was so exciting for us was like you're really building a community of community builders. So it's like taking a step <laughs> back, right? And being like, who is doing this? How are you doing it? How can we all That's right, together? that's right. And there's yeah. so much strength in that because it's such a, you're right, like the people who do this really, really well are so busy doing it often that they don't have yes. time to stop and go, what do I need to make this a little bit easier? Or what doesn't exist that would be really, really useful? And so mm. with this project, you're finding ways to, to just carve out a tiny part of their time and be like, help us figure out what those gaps are and then addressing it with your inventory and with your um, mapping and your, I've forgotten what we call it, like a code of practice. Yes, um, that's, right. that's right. And the conversations yeah. and yeah, already on that call, I noticed there are people there who didn't know each other and there were yes. different, you had all these channels of how it was accessible to people with different needs and it, yeah, it's just a really cool thing to watch you bring together because there was nothing there before, right? You're starting something from yeah. nothing. So yeah, yeah. it's yeah. something, it's cool to that, watch. I mean, in, in, in Singapore, there's, in recent years, to be honest, there's been a bit more interest uh, in, in disability arts uh, and there's been a bit more awareness. Uh, so different people are doing things. And you know, the strange thing about Singapore, although we are a very small country, uh somehow you know they we we don't talk to each other as much until a crazy project like this comes <laughs> about and then you you know then then we sort of you know bring different people together and then we start to connect and 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 we realize oh actually you're doing this okay how then can we uh, deepen right mm-hmm. how can we fill the gaps how can we link right mm-hmm. and if we talk about an arts ecosystem I, I think, you know, going back to the theme of today's chat about change, mm-hmm. I think it's very much about that, right? What, where are the gaps and how can we as artists and teaching artists uh, fill those gaps, mm-hmm. right? So it's like the example that I shared with you, right? Because uh, we're in lockdown, these kids from, from disadvantaged families are stuck at home. You know, how do they have a meaningful afternoon? Right. And and then, you know, they found some money from somewhere. And then, you know, somebody else said, Oh, Jeffrey, do you want to do this? And I'm like, okay, why not? <laughs> yeah. Right. And 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 so for me, it's a it's a win-win for everyone. Mm-hmm. So we are all learning from the experience and, and gaining so much from from uh, you know, giving people opportunities. Mm-hmm. Right. One of the other observations the teachers were saying was like, you know, Jeffrey. It's been so hard to get the children to write. But in your one and a half hours, you not only engage them, but they were, they were all uh, challenged to write hmm. different, you know, they were challenged to write a thank you note. They were challenged to write a letter. Mm-hmm. And then they were challenged to, you know, and, and, and they were, some who were not so good were asking for spelling. So that was really funny. Uh, but, but encouraging, right? And in and, Reflecting on that, I think that's the problem with our education. Sometimes we teach writing for the sake of writing Mm -hmm. and we forget that writing needs to be in context and that the arts and stories give us a lot of context and reasons. Mm -hmm. And when you are involved with the characters and with the situation, I think people become a lot more sensitive Mm -hmm. uh, and they connect not just on an intellectual level, but on an emotional level. And then, of course, socially, they, they learn, right? How to get along with someone who is different mm-hmm. from themselves. Yeah. Yeah. You're t- yeah, like engagement rather than just dictation, right? Exactly. Like, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, absolutely. I think yeah. a lot of people will be nodding along to that concept. Um, so on that theme of change then, because the, yeah. we try and focus this podcast on people who are making change in different yes. settings or structures. If you could wave a magic wand right and have everyone focus their energy on one specific kind of change that we could mm. be making or should be making right now like mm. for the future 
what yep. do you think that change should be or what would you hope that it could be i i really hope that people would have a bigger open hearts hmm. uh because because i feel that you know in times of crisis a lot of people just look down and look within uh and and i think if anything else this is a time for us to be even more generous mm-hmm. and to be kind not just to ourselves but to the people around us you know living in a a home where you're stuck with each other for 24/7 uh can be quite can be quite frustrating so if you embrace this change of a bigger heart and and try and look for possibilities rather than conflict uh look at the we rather than the i mm-hmm. uh then i think we we can begin to have possibilities of interacting and playing and and then maybe we can start to really care for each other mm-hmm. beyond just the charity model of caring for someone else right sure. when when actually charity needs to start at home mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, I love and, and, that. Look outwards instead of inwards. Yeah, yeah. And and because, I mean, especially so now, a lot of people are depressed and, and you know, uh, mental health is not the best uh, place to, to be in. Uh, and, and yeah, and, and, and life is unpredictable, right? So, so one of the the sad things about working with seniors is after adapting to my my storytelling workshop to phone calls, uh, so it was a four session, uh, you know, every week on Tuesday afternoons. So I met this woman uh, the first week I think through yeah. So I basically called her right every week, and then I think by the third third week she was in hospital. And the fourth week, she was still in hospital. And her last thing was, are you coming to see me? Mm-hmm. And of course, um, unfortunately, she, she moved, you know, she passed on. Uh, and it's sad because I think sometimes little uh, workshops like this make a lot of difference for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, that phone call maybe might be something that she needed, Right. Mm-hmm. So 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 these are really unexpected things that, and I think that's where, I think if we're if we are clear about what we are doing as artists as humans, uh, then, you know, change will maybe begin to happen, mm-hmm. oh, without us, that. uh, you know, specially constructing that change and wanting mm-hmm. to change the world, right? And and really, I think these days it's hard to change the world. Let's face it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, it's really hard to change the world. So maybe just start with little things that you can do, little things that you can manage, right? And yeah. and 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 the change will ripple, and mm-hmm. just have faith that that you know, it will go somewhere. Mm-hmm. I love that. I, I first of all, I totally agree with everything you're saying, and second of all, I'm like, oh my god, I need to go and phone my gran. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So anyway, right, to wrap things up, what we normally do is we ask yes. a few quick fire questions, right? So, okay. Oh no. <laughs> so they're super easy and you just say the first okay. thing that comes into your head. Um okay. and so I'll just ask them quickly and you just say the first thing you think of, okay? Okay, here we okay. go. So who inspires you? Who inspires me? Actually, my late mother. Hmm. Um who who never stopped learning, uh, who never gave up, even till her last breath, you know, she never gave up. And uh, she still inspires me, despite the fact that she's not here anymore. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, what keeps you motivated? What keeps me motivated are the smiles on uh, people's faces. Uh, I was so moved by the kids who were trying to show me what whole looks like or what hot looks like it's such a simple exercise but to see the joy in their eyes uh, I think that's what keeps me going in theatre that w- that's what keeps me going in stories and that what you know and that's what keeps me doing what I do you know how do we be inclusive yeah okay, where are you most grounded I'm most grounded when 
I'm at peace with myself, when I'm not all over the place, uh, where I can feel my own breath, uh, where I can tell the direction of the wind. <laughs> oh, what a great thing to say. <laughs> you said the first thing that, that came to my mind no i so. love it god i wish i just said <laughs> okay right. the next one's funny because we've gone off on a tangent but how do you stay focused okay. how do i stay focused <laughs> very hard <laughs> no no i i think i stay focused by being clear about the the whys you know why am i doing this uh and and once i'm clear about why i'm doing it then I don't have to consciously think about how I focus. You sort of automatically would adjust your, your emotional state, your, your stress level <laughs> to, to do what you need to do because you're clear why you're doing it. And even though you're so tired, I think the, the, the clarity of purpose uh, drives me to really focus on what's essential. Okay, and finally, why change? Why change? I guess life would be very boring if everything <laughs> stayed the same. And, you know, we're just here for a short while. So why not live life to its fullest and discover what we may not have thought of? And that's why, you know, we need to constantly change, not for the sake of change, but change for the sake of finding better versions of ourselves that's a great one finding better versions of ourselves well thank you jeffrey that wraps us up quite quite nicely so thank you so much for being here and for talking and for sharing about what you're up to um i'm so excited that we got to do this so a big thank you thank you thank you thank you all right madeline we are back from that interview with jeffrey <laughs> he is so amazing every time i talk to him i just feel like a giddiness with just his his joy for life it's it's infectious <laughs> he's like a sunshine person yeah i totally agree now let's back up a little bit though talk to me about the investment that itech is making in projects like this how are you all supporting teaching artists all around the world yeah, so there are multiple ways in which we do that, but for this specific project, um, one of the things we ask of our conference hosts, which are always institutions, right, they're always people, um, institutions with the capacity to host a conference, and so as part of that hosting, what we ask is they provide some kind of grant funding before and after the event to support teaching artistry and the practitioners that do that work. So this was a project that came out of ITAC 5. Um, it was an international partnership project. We did an open call and said, who did you meet at the conference? What were you inspired by? What sessions spoke to you? And what work do you want to see continued? And then we convened a panel and we reviewed all of them. And we said, you know, what has the longest lasting and deepest impact for the field? And Jeffrey's was, was the one which was commissioned to do that. He's building an inventory, as you heard, he's documenting codes of practice, he's building a cohort, he's doing so many things where there's been nothing before. So we, we found it really essential to be investing in the practitioners, but the practitioners to identify gaps and enable them to fill those gaps. Um, and that's how we're going about building the field, right? How going to establish tools and resources where there was nothing before. And it's really important to us that the field is the people telling us what the gaps are and then proposing the method by which we fill them. And so that was Jeffrey's project. This was something he pointed out as missing and then proposed a solution to fill. So I'm just delighted that it's happening and that he's the one leading it because, well, you heard him, if anyone can like galvanize a community, right, it's Jeffrey. So I'm so pleased that we have him on board to do this. Uh, it is amazing. And it's really important work, you know, that intersection of arts and culture and education, as well as uh, the disability movement um, mm -hmm. is, is so essential for that true inclusion of what we're um, talking about when it comes to field building. I know here in the US, there's been a lot of movement around this um, 
you know, by way of history, um, there was a, a tremendous movement um, from uh, the Kennedys, the political family. They invested in a program based out of the Kennedy Center um, here in Washington, DC, um, that has supported um, arts and cultural education for young people with disabilities. Um, and that has really grown. There's multiple centers. We actually at Creative Generation work with and support the Berkeley Institute for Arts Education mm. and Special Needs that coalesces leaders um, in the field, as well as um, looks into uh, documents practice, convenes people to learn, um, and offers educational opportunities themselves for um, those pedagogies um, mm -hmm. in that, that intersectional space. And it's been really interesting as I've participated in that to understand exactly that dichotomy that Jeffrey was talking about, right? Or several dichotomies, really. The idea that we, we must, as arts educators or teaching artists think about how we are approaching the pedagogy side of things to um, meet young people with disabilities where they are so that they mm -hmm. can learn through the arts in our classrooms and in our community settings. But similarly, you know, how we can also support teaching artists or arts educators who have disabilities themselves um, and to allow for that, that true inclusive environment. And, and, you know, and similarly, Jeffrey also talked about the, the medical model and the social model, which is something through this process that I've learned a lot about. And it's just so much, so much for our sector to dive into to really bring that vision of inclusivity to fruition. Yeah, it's a really, really rich area because I think there's so much misunderstanding or stigma or um, just lack of awareness around how people approach that work really well and also how you describe that work really well um, because there was something in the interview Jeffrey touched on about doing that work but and involving mixed ability performers but not marketing it as that you know not looking at that as a sort of niche or a quirk and just that is the normal way of working and should be across the board and here's a model of how it looks done well and I felt like that was a really important one and I know that's something you guys share is the commitment to genuinely respecting everyone involved and not commodifying the experience but just genuinely going deep and meaningful with it and allowing that to speak for itself. Absolutely I, I totally agree and you're right our work at Creative Generation really does believe in fostering systems of radical inclusion mm -hmm. that just become the systems. You know, we're working within societies that do stigmatize when it comes to, to disability or comes to really anything. And the fact is we have to change the systems mm -hmm. um, and uh, our approach um, in that space, it's exactly what you said is, is focused on that future's orientation of shifting systems to meet the needs of people rather than shifting the people to meet the needs of the systems, which is right. which is really hard. But there was something else that, that Jeffrey said in the interview that has stuck with me. I wrote it on a post-it note, actually, it's sitting on my desk now, that says, you know, we, we must, as practitioners, have the courage to go beyond what we are comfortable with, which is so important in that idea of shifting systems or systems change because we grow up in societies, we grow up in infrastructures where we are very comfortable. We know that A leads to B, which leads to C, which leads to D, right? And all of a sudden, if we need to change that so mm -hmm. that D goes first and next comes B, mm -hmm. that is discomfort. Um, so I, I wonder if there isn't some truth in this idea that as pedagogues, as artists or adults that work with young people, we have to just practice that courage that he's talking about of, of discomfort, of, of operating within mm -hmm. gray areas, of sitting in spaces where mm -hmm. it's not what we are used to, so that we have that muscle to flex when needed when working in that systems change work. Totally, because that's when we know that's, that's how we know growth happens, right? You have to be uncomfortable to be challenged or to grow or to evolve and it reminded me of the chat with Sangeeta actually that I had of where she was like the question isn't why change because change is inevitable so it's how to change and and the purpose with which we change and what we channel it towards and that resonated with what Jeffrey was saying I think about um it's not the change it's the comfort in change and the using the change to become better rather than just let it wash over you right and I think that's so important especially as we 
take stock of what's going to happen now with the world sort of shifting again so yeah I I need to go back and re-listen to this like three times but he says so many little nuggets of wisdom that I'm like god I need to absorb this like three more times and exactly what you're saying we as artists have the exact tools to make sense of what's happening with (laughs) our art right that you know that change is there and discomfort might be um uh, inevitable and whether it be the the systems shifts that are needed um for people with disabilities to participate in the arts whether it is the return from covid to whatever comes next that change is happening and discomfort will result from that change and we can lean into it or we cannot but certainly we have the arts as a way of both communicating that change healing you know during um, that change for any harm that is caused that we have the arts to creatively express that new future that we all envision you know this this work about Um, bringing together the arts and cultural and the education and the disabilities communities is something that is so fascinating to me because it really allows us to creatively vision for a new future, to to move beyond, Mm -hmm. you know, these um, imposed restrictions that society has had and to really have conversations um, about disability rights and to have conversations um, about um, making it so that we are able um, to operate within um, infrastructures that are accessible for everybody. Um, Mm -hmm. And that to me is one of the greatest assets of working in the art sector because we have just that ingrained ability to vision for things that have never been before. Totally, totally. And while you're talking, I'm like, God, your organization is just perfectly named for what you do. I'm like, if only there was a generation that could creatively problem solve for the future. That is certainly the goal. But you know, it is really interesting. I'm glad you brought that up because that type of discomfort, I've been in a few conversations and I'll just be really honest with you, as we do have these members of the creative generation or our younger folks that are actively challenging these systems, we call it creative social transformation. So creative Mm -hmm. approaches to challenging and re-envisioning the hierarchies and systems that are in place that sort of maintain societal order. Um, And oftentimes it is perceived as a generational gap, right? That there's a a rub in between (laughs) the generation that wants to do it the way that they've always done it and a new generation coming up that's creatively um, addressing these um, changes. But one other thing that Jeffrey said that has sort of been a mantra of mine over the last several months is this idea of having radical grace with each other, that Mm. we have to understand that, you know, transitions of power, that changes over time, that the way that evolution occurs in communities is not a smooth process. It's a bumpy road that's filled with lots of different potential pitfalls or snags or other types of things. And this idea of, what did he say? Thinking of we rather than I Mm -hmm. and operating with a sense of radical grace is just so necessary. And if there's one takeaway from the COVID period, Mm -hmm. it would be that for me is so often people operated with this just hugely radical grace towards each other. Um, and I, I don't want to lose that moving forward mm-hmm. because I do think it's a key for the progress that we hope to see in the world. Yeah, I'm totally with you. I've been having a lot of chats about radical empathy, right, which I think is a similar ter- or term for some, something really similar that you're talking about. And that is now something I try and apply to all of my practice all of the time. I don't always manage, but I always try because I'm like... I had a really interesting chat actually on a project I'm working on where people were talking about anchoring in love. And I was like, you know, I don't need you to love me, but I need you to have empathy for me. Like I, no one's ever committed a crime of empathy. Right. So I'm like, those are slightly different terms. And I think everyone, you can have empathy for anyone, you know, you can understand there's a human behind decisions and you don't have to love the decisions, but you can understand it's a human. And I think that I think Jeffrey does a really good job of exemplifying that in practice, like not making a big song and dance of it, just getting on with the work, but leading from a place of 
grace or from empathy. And yeah, I think that is a great takeaway from that chat. I totally agree. Well, Madeline, thanks so much for spending some time with me today. Uh, and thanks for, again, sharing your conversation with Jeffrey. It was incredibly inspiring. And I really do look forward to following his work and to see what comes next with their network of uh, practitioners throughout Asia. Um, so what is next for you? What is coming up um, down the road for your work? Well, I have 10 days off in a row, 10 consecutive days off coming up, which I'm so excited about. So um, I might be going up to the Highlands or something for, you know, personally. Work-wise, um, we are doing a huge amount on um, local network building and sub-network building, community cohort building, so that the international um, agenda we set and the international projects are all really rooted in local practice um, from all over the world. So we're trying to really make sure our roots are deep rather than just wide. Um, so I'm focusing a lot of time and energy on that just now. Um, we've got some exciting announcements coming up about that this month, which I can't wait to share with you. Um, yeah, that's that's the key focus for me. What about you? That's great. And, you know, that seems to be a theme um, here in the U.S. Mm -hmm. One thing that is on my mind now and I think will continue to be is, is this decentralization of power within sort of the mm -hmm. arts and cultural sector um, in the United States. I don't know. Um, and we can drop the link in the show notes. I'm not sure if you heard, but um, Mackenzie Scott, who's a philanthropist um, in the United States, um, made a, a lot of money during the pandemic um, from her stock in Amazon mm -hmm. and just gave like $2.8 billion away in one night uh, to a ton of arts and cultural organizations. And the thing that I can't stop thinking about is the fact that those gifts were so transformational for these local mm -hmm. arts and cultural organizations that it has really solidified, you know, their their place in in their right. communities, in the world, at the these tables of dialogues and so forth. And the way in which it was given really prioritized um, organizations and communities that were often marginalized in mm -hmm. these dialogues in the arts and culture sector. And I think we've really started to see this great decentralization of power. Mm -hmm. um, in the American cultural scene. And it's something I cannot stop thinking about because to me it is, as Jeffrey was talking about, it's a key to just endless possibilities when right. people are at the, are able to be at the table, whether it's the tape, you know, Jeffrey building the table for them to come <laughs> sit at, sure. or whether it is, um, you know, people, I don't know, what's the analogy here? Like reinforcing the chairs uh, or whatever <laughs> sure. um, of these, these other organizations um, in the US. And I, I am just very excited to see what's going to come the rest of this year and into, mm -hmm. into the future. Um, so that's something I just can't stop thinking about. We'll see. Maybe mm -hmm. there's a blog in there or something that I'll write. Oh, but, uh, there's like 12 in there, I'm sure. Absolutely. Well, thank you all so much for tuning into this episode of the Why Change podcast. And we'll catch you next time. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Why Change, the podcast for a creative generation. If you would like to support this podcast aimed at amplifying the voices of creative changemakers around the world, please consider donating through the link located in the episode's show notes. These show notes contain all sources discussed in the episode. Be sure to follow, like, subscribe, and share the Why Change podcast to make sure you and your networks get episodes delivered directly to you and that you don't miss any stories of creative work happening around the world. If you haven't already, be sure to follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Also, we'd love to hear from you. You can write to us at info at creative-generation.org. We would love to hear your ideas, the topics you want to learn about, and why change matters to you. Our show is produced and edited by Daniel Stanley. Our music is by Distant Cousins. A special thanks to our contributors, co-hosts, and the team at Creative Generation for their support. Mm -hmm.